1: Hello and welcome to episode 825 with Aaron Schmuckler. Aaron is back because he's got more excellent wisdom. This time talking delegation. If you felt some resistance to delegating or you've had some unfortunate results when delegating, Aaron brings excellent wisdom and tactical steps, six to be precise that you can follow to get great results with your delegations. So you'll learn one, how to get over the resistance to delegate, two, what you need to do before you start delegating anything. And three, the simple trick to ensuring follow through. So if you want to check out our show notes or our transcript or the links to some of the resources that we've mentioned here, please pace a visit over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP825. And while you're there, check out some of our goodies like the gold nugget. Email summaries, which give you a rundown of the wisdom each guest shares in an email. You can read in about two or three minutes, as well as unlocking the whole vault. we got 825 of these now. And when you subscribe, you get access to all those summaries. Pretty handy resource. There's that and more at at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's a bit more about Aaron. For nearly 30 years, Aaron has helped people find their intrinsic motivation, their capacity to collaborate, and the fulfillment that comes from harnessing their creativity. As the co-founder and CEO of The Yes Works, he specializes in supporting business leaders who believe that people are their greatest asset to create environments that bring out their best. Aaron and The Yes Works serve clients across the country and across industries, including Microsoft, Mod Pizza, Discover Org, Burkhart Dental Supply, and Sog Knives, Ninth Gear, and Textainer to make work good for people and people good for work. Big thanks to Aaron for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now here's Aaron.
2: Aaron, welcome back to How to Be Awesome About Your Job. Thank you for having me, Pete. It's exciting to be talking to you again. Well, I'm excited too.
1: And I was taking a gander at our last conversation. Fun fact: in the transcript of episode 497, <laughs> the phrase "Tell me more about that" <laughs> appeared 13 times. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> fun that you counted. Yeah. Well, I could just Control F find, you know. Yeah. And it's funny because I think we were both such fanatical fans of the phrase and how useful it is for a variety of purposes. And, and listeners, I recommend you check that out. It may transform your lexicon forever. But I'd love to hear, over the last three years, have there been any interesting stories or discoveries or saves of the day that have emerged with you
2: trotting out our favorite phrase? Boy, I'm sure that there have been countless times that that has come up. Uh, I think I had already experienced the time when somebody called me a jerk Mm -hmm. or some other some other less (laughs) less kind, (laughs) less family friendly term. And I said something to the effect of, well, clearly I've rubbed you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. (laughs) And that turned the relationship around since then. I'm sure it's helped. With the health of my marriage and with my daughter i 'm sure also that it 's helped with my business partners and with my clients it 's such a natural and consistent part of my lexicon now that i i don 't think that I have the dramatic stories that I might have had when I first started to uh, to employ that that phrase as a tool. yeah,
1: I hear you well, it has continued to serve me well also particularly when i just need a beat to think or orient to what the heck is going on right yeah. now yeah as as well as i genuinely don't understand what you said and, and it's much more friendly than like what the heck are you blathering on about now <laughs> 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 what yeah. that so, doesn't
2: make any sense is <laughs> what i must I'm be often insane to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay well uh, so well good to know so well, now I'd love to chat with you about delegation. You sent me a, a beautiful proposal. Thank you for that. And I thought that's, that's exactly something that we should talk about. So let's do it. it. Can you kick us off with any particularly surprising or fascinating or extra counterintuitive discoveries you've made about delegation in your 30 years of, of working with
2: different folks? Well, I'll skip to the end and say uh, I love the book, Who, Not How?, Mm. And I, I'm trying now to remember the name of the author, but who not how the the premise or the the thesis of the book is essentially stop trying to figure out how to do it. Somebody already knows and they can do it better than you. So figure out who yeah. should be doing this instead of how you are going to do it. I love that so much. that I was
1: frantically Googling in the background. I Dan <laughs> Sullivan. I believe that's the strategic yeah. coach Dan Sullivan. That's the, that's
2: the guy. Yeah. Same guy who's got a wealth of
1: goodies yeah. that I, I've enjoyed. Who, not how, I think that really holds true. And I am astounded at how people can often do things so much better than me. Mm. Maybe I shouldn't be astounded. I should just expect that by now, having learned it so many times. But I thought I've got a rental property in Chicago. And I thought, okay, I've checked out the Bigger Pockets podcast. You know, okay. Mm. I, I've got a little bit of sensibility associated with you know, good finding a bargain and rent to get out and making it look okay, and then and then I get a property manager who just like could run circles around me in terms of well oh yeah well that's actually a two car garage so you just got to paint a real good line in there. It's like I I said oh but it's kind of tight it's like welcome to every parking space in Chicago also here's how we can make them pay for their own water
2: It's it like whoa okay <laughs> you should be doing this and not me <laughs> one of the things that that's coming to the top of my mind as you're sharing that story as a counterintuitive truth about, about delegation. When I'm training managers to delegate effectively, one of the questions that I ask them and kind of preparing before we get to the, what our, what our six-step model looks like is I ask you, what holds you back from delegating? And very often I get responses like, I don't want to give people things that I wouldn't want to do. I don't want to just push the scut work off onto somebody else." And the remarkable truth is, all the stuff that I hate doing, somebody else loves. It is remarkable and true. <laughs> Hence, a
1: <the> remarkable truth. <laughs> right.
2: I, I thank God every day for inventing accountants. For example. Oh yes,
1: that is you're speaking my language, and and I love accountants too. I, I hope I haven't. <laughs> been harsh on them just cuz I dislike doing accounting work so much but if it's in the realm of of bookkeeping or compliance things today we had to find a, a title for a car in order to renew a thing i was like what what this is a piece of paper i was supposed to have received in the mail and then held on to for a year
2: that's uh, really pushing my capability <laughs> as my friend dave would say i resemble that remark yeah <laughs>
1: All right. That's cool. So it's who, not how. And Dan Sullivan wrote wrote a great book called just that, which is nifty. And some things we sure dislike doing other people love doing. That's cool. And, And a blessing. So then lay it on us. Is there maybe a particularly inspiring story you could share to tee this up and get us going? Oh, yeah, I am fired up to delegate. Maybe there was someone who was overwhelmed and transformed their effectiveness, and their
2: stress levels with delegation. No pressure, Aaron. <laughs> uh, I'll tell a story from my own, my own history. I don't know if we talked before, Pete, about the fact that I, I come from a theater background. Mm. And my primary training there was as a, as a director. Uh, but on the way, I was also a, a technical director. And one of the things that the technical director is responsible for is at the end of the show, the very night that the last audience sees the show, As soon as the audience is out the door and those doors are closed, at that very moment begins what's called strike and they start tearing down the set. Yeah, Ridiculous amounts of the set goes into the trash. All the lights are removed, those that aren't part of the the regular repertory in the theater. And the technical director's job at strike is essentially to make sure that it goes and that it goes off without a hitch. And the first time that I ever led strike I remember standing on the stage, you know, I've got my tools in my hands. I'm spending a fair amount of time working on the materials myself and pointing and telling people, okay, go do this and giving them a, a single task to do. Mm-hmm. And then I'd tell somebody, you know, people would be flocking to me. I eventually had to put my tools down and it was just so much work for me to try to direct 23 or, some, or something like that people. Mm -hmm. To go and do this task and then this task and then this task and then this task. And I was so exhausted at the end of that night that I might as well have done the strike myself in order to have gotten that exhausted. And it wasn't very effective. And we were there much longer than we should have been. And we made much less progress than we should have been. So I called up the last tech director that I remembered working for and really enjoying. And I said, what did I do wrong? what do i need to do better and he said okay well tell me about what you did so i told him the story of the of the night he said you you were assigning things task by task <laughs> <laughs> and then he 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 said you got to break things down into into objectives what's the result that you want to see and put somebody in charge of that result and when somebody comes to you and says what do i do next you say go join Mary over there, or go join John over there. He's got this project and he'll put you to work. And so by delegating objectives, I was able to create many teams of my team. And the next time we got more done than we had anticipated, we got out earlier than we had anticipated. And so just that one shift from delegating or or assigning tasks, and this is a distinction that I was expecting to talk to you about uh, by the end of our conversation, this distinction between assigning tasks and delegating end results, delegating outcomes, was tremendously powerful for me in an instant. Mm-hmm. I love it. It, it really does
1: resonate. I am thinking about events that I, when you talk about striking the stage, like, oh, I did some theater stuff back in the day and some events like putting on these, it was called Hobie, Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership Sophomore Leadership Seminars for high school students, as well as my wedding. Like one of my favorite things to do was carve out zones of responsibility for people. And sometimes we, we even like to make up new names. <laughs> it was like, Like, okay, all right, Michelle, you're fantastic. And I'm going to trust you to be the person who answers all of the guest questions that they would like answered when me and my bride would rather not be tied to our phones on our wedding day. And because I've I've been on both sides of that equation in terms of, oh, I've got some questions, but it's not quite clear. Like, where where do I go? Or where, where do I do? Or can I do this? at the wedding, I don't want to bother the bride and groom, but i kind of like to know. And so then it's like, Michelle, you are the director of guest experience, (laughs) that's your role. And we're letting all the guests know, if you have any questions, you call Michelle. And, And so that was really cool. Or for Hobie, we had someone who was talented with design things, but she didn't want to be in charge of the whole programming thing. So it's like, you are the artistic director. If there's any sort of color or logo or design or image that goes on a T-shirt or a booklet or a name tag or a door decoration, like you were the master of that. It's just like oh, sweet. I think it was fun for both of us because it decimates ambiguity. Mm-hmm. It was like oh, oh, well, that's me. It's like you oh lights. You say lights, Aaron. That's me. Oh, did you say the huge backdrop? Oh, that's me. And you get to feel you get to feel good when you own that thing.
2: That's right. That's right. And I created a an event recently that we called I'm not participating in this recession. And it was an event for C suite folks to come to. And had a, a CEO who had been the CEO of SOG Knives to come because he'd taken his company through some recessions. And one of the things that he shared with our attendees was that he likes to make people the CEO of their realm within his company. Yeah. Because it just creates so much leverage for him to be able to say, you handle this. And one of the things that I advise when people are are contemplating, can I delegate this, is that if somebody can do a job up to 75% as well as you can, 75% is a good marker to say to them, you go take care of this. Mm-hmm. Because if you can delegate to three people 75% of what you could accomplish, well, the leverage of all that multiplicity is tremendous. Mm-hmm. 75% of three things is much better than hundred percent of one.
1: Yeah, I dig that. And I think it's really useful to note the thing that you're delegating. Is it super crazy mission critical? Like there are very few things in this world, although there are some in which if you do it a hair better the re- rewards are huge. I'm thinking about maybe direct response copywriting. <laughs> I'm thinking about Google search engine optimization. I'm thinking about Olympic swimming. <laughs> Hundreds of a second, like gold yeah. versus nothing. You know I mean? Yeah, exactly. It, right. But almost everything else is, you could do this
2: 75% as well. Well then have at it and and away we go. Especially within our companies, part of the time and effort that we put in, in our companies is on the core competency of our company, right? This is what we do. Mm -hmm. This is what we do different from other people. This is what we do better than other people. This is what you have come to us for. Everything else in our companies is not
1: that. That's right. Bookkeeping. You didn't come here. Invoicing. Yes. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, lovely concepts. I now you actually have a pretty precise five or six, depending on how we're counting, uh,
2: <laughs> steps for effective right. delegation. Can you walk us through these? Sure. And you've hinted at the idea that this is a six-step model with five steps in a way. Because step zero, I'm considering step zero because though it is, this is the first step in delegating, it is just you all by yourself getting yourself ready to go and do the delegation. And there are some questions for you to answer before you go and do that. One, what is the desired outcome? What do you want? What is the end state that you need to have accomplished? In the military, they call this commander's intent. What's the commander's intent? It sounds simple, but it's often very hard. And one way to get there is to think about why do I want this done? That will help you to conceive what does the end result look like? Mm-hmm. So then when you've got your end result mapped out, you also need to answer the question, when do I need to have this result in hand? And therefore, what's a decent margin for failing? So if I'm going to delegate something to you, Pete, that I need on Friday by three, if I mm-hmm. ask you to deliver it to me by Friday at three, I've set us both up to be in real trouble. Yeah. Better that I should ask you for it by Thursday at noon Mm -hmm. so that we've got time to look it over, make some adjustments, figure out that we've got problems, resolve them before I need the thing. The next question to ask yourself, and we're still in step zero, is who will be served by taking on this responsibility and who is able to serve the purpose? That's kind of a two-part question, right? So who is the right person because they're going to be served by this. Maybe they really enjoy this kind of work. Or when I have somebody working for me, I ask them, where do you want your career to end up? Where do you want your career to be a year, five years down the line? Okay. What skills and talents are you going to need to get there? Oh, well, this project is going to serve you developing that. So that is a good reason to give this to you also because you're going to be capable of serving the purpose. And then the last question to ask yourself it's still in prep is what are they going to need to succeed? What's the information that they're going to need? What resources are they going to need? And do not skip this this one. What authority, what decision-making authority are they going to need in order to succeed? Mhm. That's step 0 before you even begin to delegate, preparing yourself to be ready. Okay. And then I'm wondering for those who
1: have a hard time letting go or delegating. <laughs> you might say, "Well, nobody is sufficiently qualified or able to handle this." Right. How do we respond to that?
2: Two things. One is, are you sure? Right, we talked already about the kind of that 75% rule. If somebody's going to be able to deliver 75%, then maybe it's time to reassess what nobody looks like. The second thought that I have is Bocket wrote a book called Joy at Work, in which he suggests that you push decision making down. And, and in delegating, he says you can set parameters without withdrawing the authority to make decisions. You can set parameters. So if I delegate to you, Pete, and I think you don't have the judgment yet, I might say I want you to talk to Betty and Bob about everything that you're considering before you make the decision. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the decision is yours, and I want you to have the benefit of their insights before you make the final decision. So that's another way of of cranking up people's capability while leaving their decision-making authority intact. And I've actually thought of a a third thing to share, which is if they can't do the whole thing, what parts of it can they do? What parts of it can you delegate? Mm -hmm. And then maybe you retain the rest. That's good. All right. I like
1: that notion of the parameters. So one of it could be if it's, you get the input from these people. Another other one could be if it's over X thousand dollars or right. whatever, then you check in with me. Or if it's concerning super client A, B, or C, <laughs> I, I want to know about it. If Absolutely. it's any of the dozens of other clients, you know, have at it. So cool. All right. So we've got the parameters. So it, it's not a 100% carte blanche. It's all yours, but rather, okay, here's a, here's a slice of it. And and it may very well still be the vast
2: majority, which is cool. All right. So that's step zero. What's our step one? Step one. And this one is, is a little bit counterintuitive is to ask somebody to give them something to do without giving them any details. And this is counterintuitive on a couple of levels. When we're training managers, some people push back on the idea that they should ask anybody anything instead of just simply telling them, hey, here's what you're going to do. And then the other the other reason that they push back is they they say, what do you mean with no details? So here's what I mean. Hey, Pete, can I get your help with something? Pete, (laughs) may I give you a project? It's so funny. Like
1: when you ask me that. You've galvanized my attention, but maybe in an anxious kind of a way. It's like, uh, and Great. Like, well, what do you have in mind exactly,
2: Aaron? Good. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so the, the maybe is important because the maybe is correct. And we'll get to that in a moment. The galvanizing your attention is the biggest part of this. Right. One is we're, I'm treating you with respect by asking for permission and then. You know, I can't count the number of times somebody will poke their head into my, into my office and simply start to ask me questions. Mm-hmm. And my attention is on whatever I'm doing. And I have, I have no idea what they've said. It goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> and with my attention deficit disorder, and I'm very much like this, and even neurotypical people are like this as well. We all need a basket to put things in. So when you say, can I get your help with something? Can I give you a project? Can I give you a new responsibility? I now have a basket to put all of the details that you're going to give me in and create order for my brain. Okay. And that's going to serve everybody. So, and with respect to the anxiety that I've created, largely that's because you and I don't have a relationship where we're doing this, where you know, what's going to come next. So one of the things that I recommend to any manager or anybody who's in a position to be delegating is to tell people in advance, Hey. When I delegate to you, here's what it's going to look like. I'm going to go through these six steps and what this step I'm going to do before I even get to you. Then I'm going to come and I'm going to ask you, can I get your help with something? I'm going to ask you, can I give you a new responsibility? And no is a perfectly good answer. And here are the other steps that I'm going to go through so that that anxiety is alleviated in advance Mm -hmm. by your knowing, okay, this is just step one in a five-step process.
1: Certainly. And then I think you said no is an acceptable answer to can I get your help with something? I guess also maybe any number of context sharing things like, well, I feel wildly overwhelmed by this crazy important task that's due in two hours. But what did you have? in (laughs)
2: mind? Great. And if you tell me you have a crazy important task that's due in two hours, I'm going to say either. Thank you for telling me, Pete, you're not the right person. Or, oh, well, this is not pressing. Why don't I come to you three hours from now to give you a chance to get that turned in and catch your breath? Mm-hmm. That's good. So that takes us to step two, which is now we're going to lay out the details of who does what by when. What is it that I'm asking you for? Mm-hmm. And there's a, another podcast called Manager Tools. And one of the things that they suggest in uh, at this point In any delegation, is that instead of delegating the task be done, delegate the reporting that it is done. And I think that's just a brilliant insight to say, instead of, hey, Pete, will you do this? To say, hey, Pete, please tell me by 3 p.m. on Thursday that this is complete. Or please send me an email with the file of this report by 3 p.m. on Thursday. So you're delegating the reporting because if I don't know it's done, It has no value to me. Okay. So delegate the reporting. Tell me as soon as this is complete. Here's the outcome I'm looking for the manager's intent. What is the end state? Rather than all of the meticulous details. Here's the deadline. And here are some resources. Here's some consideration. Here's the authority that you have, right? You might want to, when I say consideration, you might be tempted if I'm asking you to rent us a a truck. I might say, you know, the last time we went to U-Haul, we had these problems. So consider looking at Penske and budget before you go talking to Mm U-Haul. Okay. So that's step two, is to lay out what it is that I'm asking for. All right.
1: So you're elaborating. So who does what, by when, to what standard, for what reason, with what resources? Can you elaborate a little bit on... The standard. Yeah. Like, how can we go about de- unpacking and delineating what is good, optimal, acceptable v- versus what
2: is not? Good. So, so you're going to want to ask yourself the question of wh- what do I need to see, right? So the standard for a truck might include it needs those rails on the wall that you can lash things to. The standard might include the budget the standard might include the size of the truck. If I'm asking you to create a report, the standard might include margins for error. Or if I'm asking you to design something, right? The the standard might be, I want this to look opulent. What are the ways that you can describe what it should look like, what it should feel like, what it should be like? And what are the questions that you're going to be asking when you assess It's success. Mm -hmm. In other words, how do we know if you've succeeded at the end? Mm -hmm. Are there no grammatical errors? Are there no spelling errors? Does that matter? And perfectionism, right? When when we talk about perfectionism, perfectionism is somebody insisting that they go beyond the standard, which wastes time, effort, and peace of mind.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, now, could you share with us the step three, negotiate?
2: Yeah. So step three as you said, is to negotiate. I asked you if I could give you something. You said yes. And you said yes, sight unseen, or maybe you said it depends. You didn't know until now what I was asking for. So at this point, the negotiation includes asking the questions. Okay. Now that you know what I'm asking you for, Pete, are you still in? Mm -hmm. Does this still work for you? Do you have what you need? Right. I've told you about these resources. I've told you about that authority. I've given you these tools. Is there anything else that you need that I haven't thought of? Do you need help? Do you need people? Right? People are some of the resources that you might need. And if you're tempted to say no, and or if you're not sure how to meet the rest of your obligations, then we may be reallocating your other priorities and your other responsibilities. I don't have time to do that because I've got this. Oh, well, let's delay the deadline on that. Or Okay, let me take back this thing that I was trying to delegate to you because clearly this isn't gonna fit on your plate. Or let's take this other thing off your plate and give it to somebody else so that you have the bandwidth to handle this. So that the negotiation is, okay, what what will it take to make this work if in fact it does? Okay. And then step four? So step four is to keep in touch. And this is a very often overlooked step because people say, okay, go do this. I'll see you at the end. Tools for this include if you're a manager having weekly one-on-ones where you're checking in with your direct report, where the the weekly one-on-one is focused on your relationship in general, but you keep touch. How is this going? Or if this is a longer term project, you set, here's the final deadline, but there are benchmarks along the way. Here's how we know we're on track. This is going to be accomplished three weeks away from the deadline. This is going to be accomplished four weeks away from the deadline. This is going to be accomplished five weeks away from the deadline. So you're keeping touch of, are we on track at each of those benchmark locations? And you're checking in on the standards at those times as well. Mm -hmm. So that you create a channel for reporting and keep in touch at least weekly, at least briefly. So Mm -hmm. that's step four is, is to make sure that you're keeping in touch. At least weekly that's handy. And then you mentioned that fine
1: is not a status report in terms of hey how are things going? Fine. Yeah. What more precisely
2: are we looking to hear when we're keeping in touch? Here's where the benchmarks come in, right? Oh, well, I'm 2 days behind on this benchmark. Or I'm 2 days ahead. I reached this benchmark even though it's not actually due until 2 days from now. So that's one thing or a status report is we're on track and I, in terms of we've hit all the benchmarks up until now, and there's an obstacle emerging that I didn't anticipate. Let's talk about how I might get around this obstacle. Can I have your insight or can I have, uh, I'm going to need a hundred dollars or thousand dollars to level this obstacle that's come up. The price of lumber has changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then step five, debrief. Step five is after the fact. So, you know, arguably, this isn't part of a delegation model It's part of a checking in. And I think it needs to be there because I don't consider it complete until we've learned what there is to learn from the process that we just went through. What worked and what didn't. What worked in terms of how our communication went. What worked in terms of my execution of what you delegated to me what worked in terms of, did our standard actually meet the need? I delivered this entirely on standard. This is exactly what we designed. And it still didn't solve the problem that this project was intended to solve. So what needs to change? So a few questions to ask here. What do we need to keep? What do we need to stop? Just get rid of this entirely. This was completely uh, extraneous. What do we need to add? what wasn't there that needs to be there, and what do we need to adjust, right? We got the blue one, it was the wrong blue, or we got these, but instead of five, we need seven. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to keep? What do we need to stop? What do we need to add? What do we need to adjust? And that takes us, Pete, through six steps if you include step zero to prepare yourself for the delegation. Okay. Well, and then maybe zooming out or or cutting across all these steps,
1: what are some of the top things that make all the difference for preventing disasters, disappointments, Mm -hmm. oopsies, and stressful moments?
2: (laughs) So I'll start with perhaps the answer that people are going to like the least. I remember when I took my first advanced level biology class in college, it was a genetics class. And I sat down for the first exam, and I looked at the cover sheet of the exam, and what it said was, this is one test in one class, in one part of your schooling, which is just one part of your life. Your performance on this exam, while it may be important right now, is not critical to the outcome of your life, so don't fret. That was the cover page of this exam. And then I opened up the exam, and the first question was, for 10 points, what color is a golden retriever? Hint, look at its name. Mm -hmm. So that story is intended, Pete, to illustrate that part of how you can prevent disasters is by chilling out. Okay. (laughs) Both because the things that you're thinking of as disasters are probably not as disastrous as you think they are, and because... Fearing disaster makes disaster more likely, and so one of the one illustration that I love about this, I used to be a hang glider pilot. Oh, cool. And when you land a hang glider, you know generally you're you're looking for a big open field to land a hang the hang glider in. And what happens more often than you would imagine is that there's a big open field with one tree in the middle, and the hang glider pilot hits the tree in the middle. Mm -hmm. There's lots of open space. The hang glider pilot flies right into the tree. And the reason is that in the fear and anxiety of not wanting to hit the tree, the pilot looks at the tree. And your brain is designed to take you where you're looking. Okay, Millions of years of evolution have made our brains direct where we go to where we're looking. So if you're looking for disaster, you are much more likely to steer into it. Look instead for the clear open field. And you think open field, open field. Okay, there's the tree. That's where I don't want to go. And then you spend the bulk of your time and attention on here's where I do want to go. Here's where I do want to go. Another part of the answer to your question, Pete, is to consider those benchmarks and to really not get lazy about checking in with those benchmarks and assessing along the way as part of your keep in touch step. Do these benchmarks still make sense or do they need to be reassessed? Are we still on target to meet the deadline? Are we still on standard? Are we getting further and further from if we start to fall behind? Are we getting further and further behind or are we finding that over time we're catching up? Those are a few of the thoughts that I have about that question. All right. And then when it comes to
1: micromanaging, I think folks don't like being micromanaged. And on the flip side, managers are scared to be micromanaging. How do we make sure we strike this balance appropriately?
2: Micromanaging is about backseat driving, it's about checking in so regularly that people can't get into a flow. Micromanaging is about making decisions that other people could make. It is not about the frequency. Of your check in, provided you're allowing people to accomplish stuff and get into a flow state before your next check in. People are so afraid of micromanaging, in my experience, that the tyranny of micromanagement is the fear of micromanaging far more often than the tyranny of micromanagement is actual micromanagement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well,
1: so that's uh, reassuring <laughs> and comforting. So then, any maybe pro tips or indicators like, oh, you might be getting close
2: to that line. If you are tempted to take back the project that you've given to somebody, think twice. All right. Taking back the delegation is often a piece of micromanagement. If you are trying to get marginal improvement by changing the decisions that they have made, you're very likely micromanaging. Okay, And it's important to think about when micromanagers are very often what they're trying to do is risk management, right? I I don't want this to go badly. I want this to go as well as it possibly could. I want the outcome to be a hundred percent. The risk there, the the risk that you actually attain is demoralizing people, is losing the leverage that you have as somebody who can delegate to get more than one thing done at a time. And so if you are. If you are wasting human capital, if you are wasting people's potential and fulfillment in pursuit of marginal accomplishment, you are a micromanager. It's time to rethink your priorities. Okay.
1: Well, now, Aaron, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things.
2: I'm glad you you brought up micromanagement because that probably would have been how I would have answered that question. I think I'm ready for favorite things. Let's do it. Can you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring. This quote is often attributed to Goethe, and it evidently is not his, and it's not known where it came from. So it is, whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it.
1: Okay. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
2: There's an experiment around something called enclothed cognition. Oh, yeah. And enclothed cognition is essentially... And clothed, meaning the clothes that you are wearing, cognition, meaning thought. And so this experiment took people and put them in a smock, like a painter's smock, and asked them to do accounting work, like work on a spreadsheet, the the kind of stuff that you and I were talking Mm -hmm. about we don't really like. Wearing a smock, they were worse than if they were just wearing their normal clothes at doing that task. And wearing a lab coat... They were better than they were at doing that task than if they were just wearing their normal street clothes.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And by contrast, if they were asked to do something creative, like create a painting, then they were better wearing the smock than they were in their normal street clothes. And if you put them in a lab coat, they were worse at being creative and original and interesting in creating their art. Mm -hmm. Worse in a lab coat than they were in their street clothes. Fascinating. Okay. And a favorite book? Today, I'm going to name Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, a oh, yeah? very compelling book about negotiation. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I love Calendly. Oh, yeah. I'm not that great at tracking administrative details. So being able to give somebody either a link to go and book time on my calendar or Calendly it gives you this one-off meeting thing where I can tell you, here are a bunch of times, click one, and you'll appear instantly on my calendar. Very, very useful for me. All right. And a favorite habit? One more is my favorite habit right now. There's a lot to do in my life, as there is in all of our lives. You know, and I might go to the sink that may be full of the day's dishes. And start to wash the dishes and and start to be tempted to go and do I'm I'm feeling hungry. I want to go dirty another dish. And I just say one more. And one more will often get me all the way through all the dishes or all mm-hmm. the phone calls that I need to make or any of those things. So I have a habit right now of saying one more when I start to feel like I've got to move on from this.
1: Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you often?
2: I've mentioned some of the manager training that we've been doing lately and and this this is something that hits all managers, I think, where they live. I've had CEOs audibly get hit in the – they sound like they've just been punched in the stomach when I say, if there is no consequence for consistently missing a job requirement, then that thing is not actually a job requirement. It's something that you've put on your wish list, mm-hmm. and it's a resentment builder. Okay. Yeah. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where'd you point them? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Aaron Schmuckler on LinkedIn. And you can find me and all the work that we're doing at the yesworks.com. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I'll stay in keeping with the theme of the day delegate. Go delegate. Are you not good at it? Delegate it. Are you not interested in it? Delegate it. You don't have time? Delegate it. Delegate it. Go delegate. Mm -hmm. There's almost nobody that I know who delegates too much, but there are lots of people that I know who delegate too little, myself included, by the way.
1: (laughs) All right. Aaron, this has been a treat. I wish you much
2: luck and fun and all your delegations. Well, thank you. Uh, Likewise. Right back at you.
1: I so love Aaron's point. The remarkable truth is that all the stuff I hate doing, somebody else loves. Yes, Indeed. What a delight to know that your trash the stuff you really would prefer not to do someone else treasures it and really digs it so in a way it's a double blessing you're blessed by not having to do this thing you hate and they're blessed being able to do the thing they really dig win when great stuff from Aaron again the show notes the transcript and the links to items we've referenced are awesome at your job.com slash EP825 hope to catch you next time and peace. Jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa playsets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.